Well, today uh, we're starting a brand new summer message series. Uh, Next week we are going to have our potluck, so that kind of officially kicks off summer here. Uh, But we're starting our summer series uh, today. This is a series that we've entitled Grow. You know, whether, uh, whether you're a new believer... Uh, You've been a follower of Jesus for a really long time, or maybe you're here and you're exploring faith for the very first time. Um, Understanding where to go next in your faith journey, it can be really difficult at times. So uh, what God's put on my heart is that for eight weeks, I want to explore some of the important aspects of our faith journey. These are truths that are going to help every person, regardless of where you're at, um, really take hold of God's word and help you take that next step in your Christian walk. And again, my prayer has been that the the truths that we talk about in this series uh, would encourage you in your faith, but they would also stretch you, all right, that God would provide opportunities for you to grow in a greater capacity, give in a greater capacity, pray in a greater capacity, um, live your life for Christ in a way that you haven't uh, done so before. It's going to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. Now, Again, as many of you know, we, we did just get back from Oklahoma, and if, you, if you've lived away from home or where you grew up for any amount of time, uh, you know how exciting it can be to go back and just see some of the things that are familiar. So um, we got to drive by the neighborhood that I grew up in and the house that we lived in before moving here. That's, that's kind of fun to do. And actually, the, the last time we were in Oklahoma, we went and saw the house that I grew up in as a kid, and the memories just start coming back. Uh, I remember driving through the neighborhood, and uh, I I told Faith, I said, I used to have a friend, his name was Bobby, and he lived in this house, and sure enough, his mom was outside, and this had been, oh goodness, 25, 20, 25 years, and I said, hey, I'm I'm Craig, I'm, you know, little Craig, the guy that lived around the corner, and is Bobby here, and, you know, obviously he's my age, and I didn't think about the fact that he might live away from home, but... (laughs) Here's the funny part, though. He didn't. She said he's asleep. (laughs) She said he's asleep inside. (laughs) I said, all right, well, we miss you guys. I'm going to be on my way. There's probably a story to that, right? So that was pretty funny. But, um, yeah, we got to see the house I grew up in. And uh, the high school that I went to was a 6A high school. It was huge. I graduated with almost 900 kids in my class. And I kid you not, so we're in uh, the Oklahoma uh, Cowboy Hall of Fame, just a huge building for our graduation. And my friend, Jariah, is sitting right behind me. It's kind of a neat name, Jariah. He's, he's a great guy. Um, he's sitting behind me. And as people are walking across the stage, um, we're kind of nodding if we've ever seen this person before in our life. And then we give each other a funny look if we'd never seen them before. And, and I kid you not, it felt like more than half of them we'd never seen before. I'm like, who is this person? I, I didn't have a class with them. I didn't recognize their name. So it, it, it's pretty neat. You know, you have some great memories like that. I have some good memories from middle school and high school, and one memory that, that I do have is I remember sitting in science class or, or uh, biology class, and I remember seeing that video. It was a time-lapse video of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. How many of you guys remember a video like that? Um, but I had forgotten what this process actually entails, but it, it stuck with me all these years. So I asked someone who's a lot wiser than myself, someone who's a lot smarter than myself, and that's my wife. I said, what happens, what happens in this process? And I was amazed this week to kind of relearn. She said, well, first, the caterpillar releases enzymes that digest or dissolve all of its tissues and, and body parts. In fact, the only thing that remains from the original caterpillar are a small amount of cell groups called imaginal discs. So my attention was, was had at this point. I'm listening. And she said, the caterpillar has these imaginal discs inside them their entire life, but they can't actually use them until everything has been broken down. 
And then finally, uh, rapid cell division begins, using the broken down body parts and tissue for, for fuel to help rebuild this caterpillar or this, this butterfly, basically from, from scratch. In the process, it takes about 5 to, to 21 days, depending on the, the caterpillar and, and butterfly. But what's amazing is the butterfly is literally something brand new. And I just stood back, and I, I was reminded of this video, and I could see the handprint of God all over this, just the design and the, all the glory goes to him. It's such an amazing thing. You know, people and insects are obviously, obviously very different. But the change from caterpillar to butterfly has similarities in what it's like when you and I become a new believer in Christ and what that process looks like as God molds and works on our lives. So today I want, I want to begin our message series by talking about some of the things that happen uh, to us and in us when we become a follower of Christ. So if you have your Bibles today, I want to encourage you to open up with me to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. And we also have Bibles in the back of the room. So if you're here and you don't have a smartphone with you, or you didn't bring your Bible, or you don't want to read it on the screen, uh, please, you can raise your hand at any time, and we'll have uh, one of our elders grab you a Bible. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, this is what we read. Once you were dead, Because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to all of us in future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all that he's done for all who are united in Christ Jesus. And then this last part is what we're going to really focus on for today. It says that God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. And then hear this, church, because I think this has kind of infiltrated our culture a little bit. The opposite of this is being taught. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This is the word of God and all the church said, amen. The apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians and he did so in the comfort of a prison cell, if that would be comfortable at all. You know, I think about our own lives sometimes, my own life. Sometimes we think we have it rough. And here's the Apostle Paul writing this this letter of encouragement to Christians, Jesus followers in Ephesus. And he did so to help people grow in their faith and and to help people understand what God's plan and purpose was for their lives. When you read the book of Ephesians, uh, there's six chapters. It can really be broken down into two parts. Uh, The first part is really all about doctrine. All right, this is who we are in Christ, and this would be found in chapters 1 through 3. And then you get to the more practical aspects of our faith, and that's in chapters 4 through 6. This is what we do. So you have doctrine, 
who we are in Christ, and then the practical aspects of our faith. This is what we do. So who we are and what we do. And today's text is found in that first half. So this is dealing with doctrine. This is dealing with who we are in Christ. And in this text, Paul is reminding the church. He's reminding us today that that Jesus offers this free gift of grace and salvation for all who decide to believe in Christ and follow Jesus with their lives. And this amazing gift that covers our, our sins and gives us new life in Christ isn't anything that we can brag about accomplishing for ourselves. It's nothing that we can earn. You can't do enough good works. You can't do enough good things and earn your way to eternity with Christ. He says, that's not how it works. God saves us by his grace through having a personal and sincere faith in Jesus. And this message that Paul is is giving to the church reveals that whether or not we feel different when we come to Christ, whether or not we feel different, God is at work in our lives. And I would say that's another message that's kind of infiltrated the church that if you don't feel something, maybe that means that God isn't working, right? If you don't have a certain kind of experience, maybe maybe God's not working. That's the opposite of what we see in scripture. When you are in Christ, the promise is that God is molding you, that God is working in your life, growing you to be the person that he has created you to be, even if you don't feel like it sometimes. God is at work in your life. It's important for us to understand that that Jesus will change us from the inside out, yet the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act, these aren't works that we can do to earn God's love and salvation. And that's really what the second part of Ephesians is all about, how we think, speak, and act. These should all be natural uh, responses or a natural byproduct of a growing and thriving relationship with Jesus. We do these things in response to God's goodness and who he is. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit more this morning. If you're taking notes, the first point that we're going to mention today is that God's grace is a gift. God's grace is a gift. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says that God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a, what's that word? It's a you can do a little better than that. It's a, it's a gift from God. Think about for a moment, what's the best birthday gift or the best Christmas gift you've ever received? Think about that for a moment. Uh, today is actually uh, Weston. Our, our, he's six years old today. It's his birthday today. He was in here just a few minutes ago. But when you see him, just embarrass him. Like give him a noogie on his head or call him out in front of his friends. Just embarrass him today. It's his birthday. So... But think about for a second, what's the, the best birthday gift or Christmas gift you've received? I don't have to think about this very long. For me, it's, it's always been a guitar. All right, every, And Faith has actually given me a guitar on my birthday or Christmas a, a couple of times in our marriage. And it's always the best thing. I remember just the, the overwhelming joy and, and excitement because I can't wait to, to play it for the very first time. But looking back on, on these couple of instances... There was nothing that I did to deserve such an awesome, awesome gift. I mean, she, she would probably tell you different, but I, I don't feel that way. You know, I didn't do anything to deserve this. We could have used the money for a family vacation. I mean, that's where her heart is. That's her love language, taking vacations and spending time with family. We could have used it for a down payment on a house. We could have put it in savings. But instead, my, my beautiful bride chose to gift me a guitar, something I didn't earn and didn't deserve. You know, when we talk about grace, this is extremely important to understand in all of our faith journeys. It's an important word to understand. 
And again, we've used this a couple times, but the simplest definition that I've been able to come up with and that I've heard is that grace is getting something that you don't deserve. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. Ephesians 2 describes how every person is spiritually dead before entering into a relationship with Jesus. It describes the human condition, the human heart. And God's word in other places even talks about how a person who is outside of a saving relationship with Christ is living in sin. And, and actually, at one point, we were all enemies of God. But God, in his awesome mercy... And his awesome grace loved us so much that even though we were dead in our sins, he offers us new life in Christ, not because of anything that we can do. No, it's because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. It's because of who he is and how awesome he is. We receive this free gift of grace when we believe in Jesus, when we believe that he is who he says he is. And we say, I want to repent and turn from my life of sin and follow Jesus with my life. Ephesians 2 teaches us that it's only by God's grace that we're saved. You know, every single person here today who has a relationship with Jesus, you've had a different experience coming to Christ. That's because we're, we, we grow up in different families in different parts of the country. Maybe you've had a different faith tradition in your home in, in, in the past than, than where you're at today. Every person here who has a relationship with Jesus has had a different experience coming to Christ. And when you look at the individual stories that we have in the New Testament, this is what we see. We're reminded that there's really not one right way to come to Christ. And this is, this is what I mean by that. If you look at the Apostle Paul's experience, it's also known as the Damascus Road experience. Here you have a guy who hates Christians. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He thought he had a relationship with God. He was extremely religious. He kept all the laws, 600 plus of them. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. But we even heard this morning in the scripture for communion that he was the worst kind of sinner there was. He knew he he had to come to a place where he recognized that Jesus was who he says he was. And that's what I want to get at is that Jesus met Paul right where he was. Paul didn't have to become some some kind of person before God intervened. That was his experience. He was the, the worst of the worst. John the Baptist is a guy that was given the task, the awesome privilege of preparing the way for Jesus. And I don't know if you, you recognize this. John the Baptist also wrestled with faith. You get to a point in his life, and he's sitting in prison, and he starts to question whether or not Jesus is really the Messiah or not. He needs some clarification. So he started out really strong, and he had a couple of stumbling blocks, and then he he heard the truth. Thomas, one of Jesus' very own disciples, he had a hard time believing in the resurrection. This is a guy who would have been with Jesus for a, a long period of time, maybe upwards of three years. And we see with a lot of the disciples, into th- you know, three years of, of living with Jesus, they still wrestled with doubt. And that's okay. Because Jesus met him right where he was and showed him the holes in his hands and helped turn his doubt into greater faith. And maybe you're here today and you, you were raised in church your entire life. You can't even remember back to when you first believed. Maybe, maybe that's your story. And that's, that's okay. You don't have to have a Damascus Road experience. God will put people in your life who can hear the gospel and hear the good news because their story is similar to your story. You can share that experience. It has weight. It has value. But maybe you're hearing your story is more that of the Apostle Paul. Maybe you were the worst of the worst, and you recognize that. 
You wanted nothing to do with God or the church or you hated being around people. You didn't see this, this idea of having value and worth in your life. And God met you right where you're at. Some of you, that might be where you're at today. You've, you've been raised in maybe a religious system that has nothing to do with relationship. And when we open God's word, we begin to see that God has created us for relationship. He hasn't created us for law. We're not a people under law anymore. We're a people under grace. Amen? So that leads us into the second point. The first is that grace is a gift. Number two, you can't earn God's love. You cannot earn God's love. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 9 says that salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Yeah, I think back, did a little bit of reminiscing, you know, when we were in Oklahoma. I think back to when I was 16 years old. I had my very first job. Right? Think, think back to what your first job was for a minute. Um, I was 16. I worked in a snow cone stand. All right? this, was, this was a really fun job. I actually sent Connor a text while we were there. Faith and I both got snow cones because in Wisconsin, we get a lot of snow, but we don't get a lot of snow cones. And uh, you can make your own at home, and that's fun. But, and we did that this year. But he, he, he said just to hold out because there's going to be some snow cones pretty soon. Um, but, so I worked in a snow cone stand, and we had this huge machine that had this, like, um, oily liquid kind of stuff in it. It was really weird, but um, you set these, these metal tins in it, and you fill them with water, and it's called harvesting the ice. You pull them out, and it's like these ice chunks you could build an igloo with. It's really cool. And, and so you harvest the ice, you take them over, and you put them in, uh, in the snow cone stand, and then that's what you use each time, and you, you crank it down. And, and I will say this, there is a right way to make a good snow cone, all right? There were, there were a lot of bad snow cones. It takes, you got to go slow, all right, you got to take your time. It's an artwork. It's an art form, all right? So we had some of the best in town, and our, our snow cone stand was called Just Chillin'. That should tell you right there. It was, that was the place to go. That was the place to be. But then my, uh, my second job was working in a music store, and this was more up my alley. I worked at a mom-and-pop music shop. It was called Rawson's Music. And I remember the guy taking me over for my first interview. He took me to a, uh, oh, what's the little restaurant right next door? Grandies. It was a Grandies, something we have in the South. They're kind of going out of business. And he took me over there. I thought he was going to buy me lunch uh, to interview me. He bought me an order of rolls, like biscuits, and that was it. And I was like, man, you're really rolling out the red carpet, you know. And uh, so I got hired on. And, and it's funny because when we go back to this day, I think I make all of the other employees really mad because he'll find a way to let them know that I was always his favorite employee. I I promise he does this. And uh, and we're good friends. We're really good friends to this way. I actually have a treat for you this morning. I've got a picture from when I was 17 years old working in a music store. Man, I had the greatest hair. Check this out. Let's see if we can throw it up there. Oh, yeah, baby. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That guy means business. If only I could share some wisdom with you. <laughs> oh, goodness. But those were my days at Rawson's. It was just a small music shop. Man, it was so great because the community came in, and it was really it was good for our, our part of the town there. So if you, if you currently work, if you've had a job in the past, you know what it feels like to earn your own money, right? You know what it feels like to earn your own paycheck. It's a great feeling. It's a feeling of accomplishment, knowing that all of your hard work has turned into something tangible that you can, you can use. I think we feel that way about most things in life. You know, we, 
We study really hard and we get our driver's license for the first time. Or we go through school and we put a lot of hard work in and we finally graduate with a degree and we can say, you know, this is, this is mine. And then when you pay off your school, then you own your degree. And it's like, okay, I've earned it and now I own it. And, you know, and that's a good feeling. Husbands, if you're here and you've been married over 10 or 20 years, that is a huge uh, piece of accomplishment that your wife kept you that long. I mean, it really is. Celebrate today. We've, we've got a couple. I won't, I won't call them out too much. You guys know who they are. But we've got a couple that's about to celebrate their 60th anniversary, their 60th wedding anniversary. I'm just going to say it. Bill and Lorraine, congratulations. <laughs> what an accomplishment. That takes a lot of hard work. You don't just go through the motions for something like that. You put in the work. You know, it, it really is. So it feels good. Here, here's the thing, church. I think that's why it's so difficult for people to accept the truth that we can't earn God's grace or salvation in our lives. It's nothing we can earn. You know, this, this, tro- this truth goes against just about every other area in our, in our lives, how we live. It goes against how we view school and work and even some of our earthly relationships. Yet this truth is so foundational in our faith journey. See, even though we can't earn God's grace in our lives, we're still called to do the good works that he has planned for us in advance to do. Yet we don't do good works to earn God's grace. We, we do good works in a response to what Jesus has done in our lives. It's never, never to earn salvation. Good works are a natural byproduct of a growing relationship with Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9 reminds us that God has given us a gift that we didn't earn, a gift that we don't deserve. And that's why Paul says it's not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. It, it, It's a gift. And God is the giver. He deserves 100% of the praise. He deserves 100% of the credit. We're simply the recipients of his love and grace. That leads us to the third and final point today, and that is this. God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for your life. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, for we are God's, what's the word? Masterpiece. Some of your Bibles will say handiwork. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. The word masterpiece in the Greek is actually closely related to fabric or cloth that's been produced by by knitting or weaving threads together. Now, if you're here today and you're you're a knitter, a crocheter, or a sewist, not a sewer, because that sounds like sewer. I was was, uh, corrected this week. It's a sewist. If you're a knitter, crocheter, or a sewist, not sewer, you know how much time you know how much time and attention goes into whatever it is that that you're working towards. How much time goes into making something that has value and serves a purpose. My wife is an avid knitter, and the word avid is not a good word. She has a problem, all right? She, (laughs) She has a real problem. She'll, but what's amazing though, she'll start with a raw skein of yarn or a ball of yarn to those who are uneducated in, in this type of field. And after hours and hours, I mean hours of work, she's able to uh, turn something that, that doesn't look like much into something that's so beautiful and something that really does serve a purpose. I brought an example today. This is just one of, oh, goodness, probably close to 50 or 100 things she's made. So this is a sweater that she made. 
And uh, you can see just the detail that goes into this. Um, this is the ball of yarn that it starts out as. But even before this, I'll, I'll come over here so you guys can see as well. Even before this, um, there's a dyeing process, and you have to actually harvest, you know, the yarn. And I don't understand all of that. Um, she dyes her own yarn and just does a fantastic job. But she works for hours and hours and turns it into something that's beautiful and functional. It has value. It serves a purpose, and here, here's what this reminded me of this week. My wife's knitting helps me understand this, this, this truth that I am God's masterpiece, and so are you. You see, a masterpiece is unique. A masterpiece is, is set apart. It has value. It's made with and for a purpose. And this value, and you need to, if you hear one thing today, church, hear this. This value and purpose is not determined by the masterpiece itself. This doesn't wake up one morning and decide that it, its value is what it is. Its value and purpose is determined by the one that made it. The value and purpose of a masterpiece is determined by its creator. It's not determined by what the world tells you or even how you feel about yourself. You and I are uniquely made. We're created with a specific plan and purpose in this mind. And again, this, this means despite how you feel about yourself or how others try and define your worth and value, God says that you are loved today. He says that you are unique, that you are his masterpiece, that you're made for a purpose. You, you're not an accident. See, God's word includes many glimpses into the lives of ordinary people whom Jesus worked through in extraordinary ways. He takes what seems ordinary and he does the extraordinary. When you have a real encounter with Jesus, it changes you. And here's where maybe the stretching part comes. Here's where the part comes that you're going to have to really look inward a little bit and, and ask yourself some of those difficult questions. Because when you have a real encounter with Christ, it changes you. I would say this, that found people find more people. Found people find more people. Once we've experienced God's unconditional love and grace, we should be compelled to share that with others. I would say that's evidence if you've received God's grace in your life. I would also say that saved people serve people. Saved people serve people. We're saved because Jesus served and sacrificed for us. And when we experience new life in Christ, we live like Jesus by doing what? Serving others. And then finally, this is going to be the most difficult for many of us today, but this is, I believe this is so true. Growing people and growing churches change. Growing people and growing churches change. Think about this for a moment. Anything that's alive, and the church is alive, anything that's alive and healthy will grow. And, and all growing things change. Change is a natural byproduct of growth. And when we truly experience new life in Christ, you and I are going to continue to grow, and that will produce change in our life. And I would say that if there is change, and it's a healthy kind of change, you can trace that back to growth. And if it's the right kind of growth, you can trace that back to health. Anything that's healthy grows. And anything that's growing will change. That should look like that in your life, in your family's life. That should look that way in the church because, again, the church is alive. It's not the walls. It's not the paint. It's not even the music that we sing. The church is the people. This is the family of God. This is the bride of Christ. And as we grow as a family, 
we will change. And here's what happens. When you begin to view change in that way, I I believe the way God views it, change is not a bad thing. Change is evidence of growth and evidence of health. We should celebrate when it's the right kind of change. Amen? We should. Ephesians 2 reminds us that God has offered every person his free gift of grace. This is nothing we can earn. Maybe that's what you need to hear today. And that's what you need to leave with. You, maybe you've been wrestling and, and, and trying to earn God's favor in your life. And here's the thing. You can't. You can't. God loves us, not because of anything we've done, but because he's made us to be his own. Scripture says that we are his masterpiece. We are set apart. We have value outside of all other creation. We're God's masterpiece, created with a purpose and for a purpose. OCC family, I I believe that God wants to move in your life in a big way this season. I believe that he wants to use this message series to grow your life, to grow your faith, to stretch you in ways that he has never stretched you before. Maybe to read something and hear something in scripture that you've never seen or heard before and to challenge you to believe that. You just have to be open to his leading in your life. Jesus doesn't call perfect people. He he calls imperfect people who are moldable and teachable and ready to hear. So what's the charge today? Well, it's this. Be teachable. Be moldable and willing to be used in a unique and purposeful way. If you're here today and you're, you're a new Christian... Maybe you've come to Christ in this past year or a couple years. I am so excited for you this season. God's word tells us that the angels in heaven are rejoicing today because of the decision that you've recently made. That's something to celebrate here as well. Allow God to grow you in this season. I think this would probably speak for most of our church. If you've been a Christian for many years, I am equally as excited for you. I truly believe that God wants to use this season as an opportunity to grow your faith and to help you remain active in his mission and purpose that he has for your life. But also I would add this, that God might be wanting to reignite a passion in your life that you have lost. God might be wanting to reignite a spark that was once there. A passion for who Jesus is, a passion for the church and the mission of the church to stop focusing on the things that don't matter, but to get on board and on mission with the the purposes that God has for his family. If you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, maybe you're here and you're, you're exploring faith for the first time, just know that we're praying for you. We're praying for you. God's grace is a free gift that you can receive today. His love is something that you can never earn. And God has a wonderful plan and purpose for your life. If that would describe you, I just want to let you know that myself, some of our elders, if you see someone with a name tag, we would love to just hang out afterwards and talk with you today, to pray with you, and go to the scriptures and just talk about God's plan of salvation. What does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? We would love to do that with you today. New message series, Grow. I hope this is challenging for you. I hope that it's encouraging for you. I hope that over these next eight weeks, God takes this church and just completely begins to mold and change it into what God wants it to be, that we would be active and on fire and on mission for Christ. Amen.